We have no control over what's happening. We have no control. And that I think is probably the hardest thing for people to accept is that they have to, to surrender to what is, what is happening. And it's a brilliant time right now. It's, a, it's an inconvenient time, but it's a brilliant time to reassess some of the practices and the habits that we have. Are they sustainable for long term? That is literally what our planet is asking us to do right now, is to reevaluate. Because some of the things that are happening in the world today are just not sustainable. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Mark Price, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on, especially during these times when there is high anxiety, each day feels different, and just a lot of tension in the air, and rightfully so with what's going on, especially in New York City with the coronavirus and just this density of people. And I'd love just for you to share your background because for all of our meditation events in corporate space in New York City. You represent urban wellness. Yes. <laughs> and and share your wealth of knowledge. And then I'd love just to hear actionable tips, but first just go ahead, like just share your background. First of all, thank you for having me on. I love your company and what you guys do. So I'm always thrilled to be working with you guys. My background, I was a high demand performer. I was in the arts for over two decades. I did about 10 Broadway shows. And eventually I found myself in a state of suffering from states of what I now realized were low grade forms of PTSD. And that's what led me to the practice of meditation. A friend of mine had recommended particularly a style called Vedic meditation, B-E-D-I-C. And I was practicing for about seven years before I felt the urge to be a teacher of this. And at the time, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing in the world, that the world did not need another meditation teacher. And I resisted it for a solid year, and that impulse wouldn't go away. It just kept getting stronger. So I ended up doing teacher training, which was a two-year program, uh, studies in India, uh, predominantly a program that involved not leaving my life and sort of integrating my life, as it were, in New York for two years with studies concluding in India. And it was the best decision I ever made to become a meditation teacher. And it's interesting, back when I was practicing meditation, there weren't that many people talking about meditation. In fact, I would probably classify myself as what I considered a closet meditator. Some days I literally would meditate in closets rather than tell people I meditated. Uh, but now I think part of the reason why so many people are talking about meditation is because Western science is catching up to what a bunch of Indian rishis have been saying for over 5,000 years, which is you can't separate mind from body. You can't isolate the two. They are inextricably connected and they correlate with each other. 
most of us, when we think about well-being, we think about the, the status of the thoughts in our head. But what dictates thoughts is not only something deeper than thoughts, which is consciousness, but also chemistry. That is also the definition of stress. Some people define stress as their job, their mortgage, their loss of that job or mortgage. And I define stress simply as a change in expectation and also a demand. Because when we can pull back the lens and see all of our demands, then we can prioritize which ones are actually worthy of our time and attention. Now, the interesting thing about that is that we are now in a time where our nervous systems are on high alert. Our demands have suddenly shot through the roof because now we're working from home where we have kids, where we're on top of each other for long periods of time. And that is a huge change in expectation. But the one thing that is tricky about that equation is if we're in high demand situations or stressful situations for for long periods of time, what's going to happen is that we're going to experience stressful chemistry. Um, Chemicals like cortisol and adrenaline are going to flood the physiology. Now, the interesting thing about that is that whatever's happening in the physiology, uh, the cells themselves form receptors for that chemistry because nature wants us to adapt. So therefore, if you're in stressful situations for prolonged periods of time, the body is going to form receptors on the cell surface to pick up more of that chemistry. So if you're experiencing cortisol and adrenaline for prolonged periods of time, then the physiology is going to habituate itself for that stress so that you can endure. What that leads to over time, if we don't have breaks from that, is experiences like forming low-grade forms of PTSD. And one of the things that helps to counteract all of that is rest. That's why meditation is one of the most powerful tools that we can introduce. It's a balancing agent, uh, particularly with the style that I teach Vedic meditation. It is inducing rest that's oftentimes much deeper than, than regular sleep. So rest is the thing, the only thing that can reverse a hyperstimulated nervous system. So if we don't have moments of stillness, if we don't have moments of regulating our nervous system, of having stillness, and I define stillness as you minus inputs, meaning you minus listening to a podcast or reading an article or having a conversation or reading you know, 20 things at once on your device, you just being able to sit there alone with the quality of your thoughts, eyes open or eyes closed. If we don't have moments of that stillness, then what we're experiencing is the alternative, which is stimulation. And over time, that's going to have a little bit of wear and tear on, on the physiology. So for those people, especially during this time that are feeling anxiety or tension or and want to call upon a meditation practice, but maybe they've never done it, right? Like, like kind of just... I got to just got to do something because I know I'm going like crazy in the head. Where would you have someone start? Great. So I want to talk about two things. One, I want to give two concrete tools for how people can, that, that they can put into practice right away. The other one, I want to review just a couple of guidelines. We've all been inundated with how to navigate, you know, 
the corona, but I'll talk about that in just a second. But two specific tools that we can do. Breath. Breath is so powerful. It is the body's natural way of hitting the reboot. Meaning when we get stressed for prolonged periods of time, we lose connection to the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive center of the brain. And when the nervous system becomes hijacked, it can induce states of fight or flight, which is what a lot of people are experiencing right now. Hence the toilet paper shortage. (laughs) So breath is actually the only way that we can reconnect to that prefrontal cortex, which is where we make all of our best uh, decision-making skills. So just taking simple breaths, extending the exhale, inhaling for, say, four counts, extending the exhale for six to eight through the mouth. So breathing in through the nose and extending the exhale through the mouth. Taking five to six repetitions of that is enough to calm the parasympathetic nervous system oxygenate heart, blood, and lungs, and rebalance brain functioning. Which, if you've never done that, is really hard. Like for those people who've never taken an exhale more than a couple seconds, like the first couple are going to be like, like I feel like I'm choking. So just to kind of like put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You, you bring up a really, really interesting point, which is... The brain will tell you when the nervous system is hyperstimulated that sitting and breathing or sitting and being alone with your thoughts is the last thing that you should be doing in that moment. It is telling you that you need to do more action. You need to get up. You need to do something. You need to control something. And so that's the ironic thing. And the catch-22 about hyperstimulation of the nervous system is that when that happens, you'll have a moment, say you're going to pass through a window of say a minute to sometimes three minutes before the body receives the message that it can relax. And that's because the body and the brain particularly is switching over from beta brain waves to alpha brain waves. So there's a period of what I call downshifting the gears. So if you feel like the first 30 seconds when you close your eyes and you start to breathe that you want to climb the walls, That's a very normal reaction. But if you stick with it, eventually the nervous system will start to relax. It will start to subside. That's an excellent point. For someone who's a beginner, maybe the first place to start, you're saying, is to just take a breath in and then try and make the exhale longer than the breath in. That's right. Yes, extending the exhale. When we extend the exhale, that's the thing that calms the parasympathetic nervous system. So after extending the exhale and working on, not working, because we don't want to make it feel like it's more like another thing to do on our list, but navigating through that breath, what's something else that you would recommend? The other tool is something called come to your senses, which is exactly what it sounds when the nervous system starts to become hyperstimulated. Getting back in the body is one of the quickest way to sidestep any thoughts that the mind is attaching to whatever's happening. So getting present, starting with tactile sensation, noticing what the body feels like, noticing the largest sensation and the faintest sensation, then moving to sense of taste, sense of smell, sense of sight, and our strongest sense, sense of sound. 
by dropping into all five of those senses, noticing what you are experiencing with each of those senses, we're waking up our sixth sense, which is present moment awareness. And it's only through getting present that we can get out of speculation. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now with everything that's going on is speculating about the outcome. The only way to navigate the outcome of what's happening right now is to remain present and pick up those cues for what the next right action is. So that's probably the biggest challenge for people right now is being present. People don't want to feel what they're feeling. And there's no way to sort of have any sort of alchemy with feelings without actually feeling them. So that brings me to one of the other tools that we can practice, which is major amounts of compassion. There will be times where your nervous system is going to get jacked up, and that's okay. There's going to be times where you may experience difficult emotions, and that's okay. Being able to practice compassion is going to be key in navigating through that and also trying to remain present. How can you, because I know we can say like, I'm going to be present. I'm not going to look to the future and, you know, kind of go down this rabbit hole. How, how would you help someone stay present? Like, I know you mentioned come to your senses. Is there anything else? Yeah. Presence also has to do with security. And that's one of the big paradoxes right now is because a lot of people are experiencing a threat of security, whether that's security of job, security of income. So any of those basic needs that are being threatened right now is going to stimulate a lot of thinking process and hijack the brain into speculation about what's going to happen. So a couple of things that you could do is one, literally scheduling times where you can drop back in and get present. Using that tool, come to your senses. First thing in the morning and last thing before you go to bed is going to be helpful. Also establishing routine throughout the day, having things that feel like there is stability, even with all this downtime and also with people working from home. Now all of a sudden there's all this unstructured time and coming from particularly with New Yorkers who are, most of them are high demand performers, is going to be a tricky thing to downshift like that. So setting up routine at home is going to help establish a little bit more safety as well. The other big thing is separating what's in your control from what is not. There are things that, that you can do, and that's where the routine comes into play too. It helps us feel like we're actively doing something to color fast you know, normalcy throughout the day. And also doing what helps you feel a sense of safety. This is going to be completely different for everyone, but what makes you feel safe in terms of, of being connected to other people? making sure that you are managing your inputs so that you're not blowing up your consciousness with whatever you're, you're reading or what you're doing so that you have like a temperature gauge on the nervous system. The other really, really powerful thing, which is really tricky to do for some people right now, is to get outside, getting vitamin D, getting some fresh air on your face, is going to be super important as well. We're not meant to be cooped up in our houses all day long and just sort of waiting in anticipation for something to be over. And that's where people can exercise agency by establishing routine, by having regularly scheduled times where they get outside. And the last thing I would say is, is being able to challenge yourself to stay in the present. Whenever you, that, you know, present moment awareness is a practice until it becomes a byproduct. 
if you have a practice like meditation, and P.S., even if you don't know how to meditate, there are a number of apps out there that will give you at least a taste of what some of these practices are like. The one I recommend is One Giant Mind. It's probably the, the one app that's closest to the style of meditation that I teach. But when you have a practice like meditation, mindfulness and present moment awareness are going to be byproducts. If you don't have a practice like meditation, that's fine. Just cultivate moments of stillness. Cultivate moments where you are downshifting the nervous system. Challenge yourself to have a couple of moments throughout the day where you implement that. We could easily do that first thing in the morning before we check the phones and check you know, news updates. Last thing at night, establishing digital sunsets as well. Being able to power down electronics about half an hour before bedtime is, is good as well. And then also lunchtime too. That's another great time to challenge yourself to check in with the body and, and see how present you are. Yeah, I love that because I just saw a patient virtually the other day and she was talking about her neck aches and her headaches. And when we jumped on Zoom, she had her TV like mounted up on the wall going like volume, like news 24 seven. And I, one of the recommendations amongst ergonomic stuff and some exercises was like, turn off the TV. And if you can't turn off the TV, just put it on mute (laughs) in terms of like managing your input. Yeah. Managing your input is key right now because we have no control over what's happening. We have no control. And that I think is probably the hardest thing for people to accept is that they have to, to surrender to what is, what is happening. And it's a brilliant time right now. It's, a, it's an inconvenient time, but it's a brilliant time to reassess some of the practices and the habits that we have. Are they sustainable for long term? That is literally what our planet is asking us to do right now, is to reevaluate. Because some of the things that are happening in the world today are just not sustainable. So it is a brilliant time to take advantage of deepening that connection with yourself, deepening those moments of stillness, deepening that reflection on yourself. Because what's, what's been happening now, there's no way that we can go back to what we considered was normal. There's no way, it, you'd have to be a robot to, once this is over, to just go back and do exactly what you do without reflection about what we've been through so far. So it's a brilliant time to take advantage of that. And having news on in the background 24-7 is going to, is, is so counterproductive. It's, it's not even funny. We have agency in how we would like to download information. And information is very much like diet. If you eat a big meal, it's going to take the body a long time to process it and digest that. It's the same thing with information. If you are downloading news all day long, the body, the physiology cannot process that fast enough, which leads to hyperstimulation of the nervous system. So that by far is probably the most transformational thing that we can do right now is have agency over what we're putting into our minds and what we're processing right now. That by no means is trying to suggest develop ostrich syndrome. You know, we should not be sticking our heads in the sand right now. If anything, the world is asking us to wake up and to take dynamic action. But we get, we have agency in how we would like to process and digest that information, which I think is key. Yeah. You mentioned the word control. And I know for those of us, probably in New York, who might be more (laughs) 
towards the tendency of feeling like they need control of their day and how they spend their day and their time and where they can go. How do you help someone who feels like, for example, I'll just give you an example of myself. I feel like I need to clean the house and it has to get done above all else. But I also notice that is me trying to control my day, you know, and I, and I choosing that when then I take a pause and I'm like, wait a minute, I should be like playing with my kid and (laughs) using this time to connect versus like trying to control every single little piece of dirt on the floor. How do you, like, what would you, what would you tell someone who's in that kind of situation? I think that is also a result of potentially not having a lot of structure in place. The body works with circadian rhythms. You know, there was a time where we did not have electricity and we we did our work and activity according to the cycles of, you know, sunrise and sunset. When the sun went down, we would build campfires, have dinner, and then tell stories and go to bed. And the body still works that way, but it also works in ultradian rhythms, meaning that the brain works best when we work in short chunks, meaning like 90 minute to two hour chunks. So what's happening now is that now that we have all this unstructured downtime, the brain is just remaining on high alert because we feel like we should be doing, but there's no real sort of structured pockets throughout the day to where we feel like we are doing something, which allows the brain to reset when we're not doing it. So even having just a couple of things throughout the day where you have, okay, at this time, we're going to go for a walk with the kid, or this time I'm going to work for say an hour, just, you know, answering some emails and doing some stuff, some productivity. And this time I'm going to exercise for the next 15 to 20 minutes. You know, having time chunks like that throughout the day is going to allow the rest of the time when you're experiencing that downtime to actually take advantage of that downtime. It'll make you feel more willing to, to relax. And the, the word surrender, especially for New Yorkers, they equate that word with defeat. But that's what I often tell people, particularly other meditation students, is that what we're surrendering to is this idea that nature knows how to heal itself. Nature is self-correcting. The role of nature is to evolve at all times. So when we have that structure in place, And when we have some of these practices in place, we can surrender to that idea that the time we may not have control over, meaning the timeline for all of this passing, we we certainly don't have any control over that. But we always, always in any given moment as we're navigating through this, have agency in how we would like to be during the navigation of that process. So if you were going to just kind of like, for those of us who forgot to take notes. If you were just going to recap, like these are the actionable steps yes, or practices that you could practice in this time. This is what they are. hundred percent. So the first one I would say practice some sort of breathing technique or uh, now's a great time to dabble in meditation, check out some apps. If you want, get some sort of practice that's going to cultivate stillness. Now, the two tools that I mentioned in our conversation so far is a breathing technique. I like to use the breathing technique of inhaling for four through the nose, holding for six, and then exhaling for eight through the mouth. Doing that five to six repetitions is going to really calm the the parasympathetic nervous system. The other tool that I recommended is come to your senses. It takes about 60 to 90 seconds to do this. It's so quick, but literally just checking in with each of the five senses 
dropping back into this idea of present moment awareness. It is only through our five senses that we can become aware and present. Those two things, the breathing technique and come to your senses, you could literally schedule them in your day. We have nothing but time right now. (laughs) We have endless amounts of time. So get creative with it. Switch up your, your routine and throw that in and give it a try. Collect some data for yourself. So those are the two, the practices to cultivate moments of stillness. Again, the only cure for a hyper-stimulated nervous system is reducing inputs and by rest, by inducing states of rest. Just a footnote for that, if you feel like the brain is on fire when you employ any of these things, do not worry. If you stick with it, that's why it's called a practice. The brain will eventually subside after a couple of seconds, maybe a couple of minutes depending on how long you're doing these practices. So that's that part, that portion of building some form of a new routine into your, your daily practice. The other things that I mentioned is getting outside in nature, creating structure that helps create a sense of, of safety, implementing things like exercise, downtime, spending time with the kids, family time, and work time being able to throw in like small chunks so you don't have just endless amounts of downtime that you feel like you're trying to fill. Because what will happen is that if you have all that downtime and you feel like you need to fill it with no structure, you'll end up wanting to do everything and end up doing nothing because it's just too many possibilities. I'm down here in Houston right now and it's like all the grocery stores here are massive. And if you don't know what you want before you go into those grocery stores, it really leads to overwhelm really quickly. And that's that's pretty much reflective of of how we operate in nature. If there's if there's way too many options then the then the option is no. So that's that works very similar to our downtime as well. The other things is being able to navigate in experiences separating what's in your control from what is not. If you feel like you're trying to control something because you're, you're feeling agitated, maybe, that's, maybe use that as a reverse indicator that that's an opportunity to stop and just take a breath. Doing what you feel provides a sense of safety, making sure that you're connected with people, having virtual connection time with your friends, reaching out if you need support, and also just challenging yourself to stay present. The thing is, is that all of this is going to pass. It will absolutely pass. We have no control over the timeline. But again, how we are showing up in the navigation of this experience is the challenge and opportunity presented to us right now. I love that. One more question around gratitude. And Oh, yes. Thank you for, for mentioning that. Gratitude is probably one of the strongest connectors that we can practice right now in terms of helping us stay present. Gratitude does not have to be an extensive process where you feel like it takes 30 minutes to do a gratitude practice. Gratitude literally is just making visible that which you would like to cultivate more of. So it's one of the most powerful ways to increase our present moment awareness and a lot of aspects of our well-being. So journaling, if you have a journaling practice, throw that in there. Literally 30 seconds to jot down three to four things that you maybe feel appreciative of 
in your life. They don't have to be major. They can be something as simple as just feeling grateful for the breath in your lungs. Even if you have to fake it till you make it, the act of actually doing the practice will strengthen the muscle of increasing that appreciation. I wanted to ask you about that because I know for some people who may who might not have a consistent maybe practice of going through and you know saying to themselves things that they're grateful for or kind of in these moments you feel like you're going through the motions like it, you can mentally say it but you don't physically feel it compared to like if you went through a life-threatening event and you came out of it and you're like, that gratitude is just welling up. How do you navigate those times where you feel like you're just putting those moments on paper, but maybe not necessarily really feeling it deeply? That's a brilliant observation. And I think that's what a lot of people feel in terms of meditation practices as well. People turn to meditation and to gratitude as band-aids when really they're what I consider foundational habits. It's like going to the gym. You can't expect to go to the gym once or twice and lose five pounds. It's a practice that you put into place that's going to have a return on investment over time. The benefits are going to aggregate and increase and accumulate over time. And it requires mental discipline. That's why they call it a practice. And because it's a virtue, gratitude, initially, it's not going to come easy. So you're absolutely correct. In the beginning, if you've never done any sort of gratitude practice, it's going to feel like you're the biggest faker in the world. And it's going to feel like you're all of a sudden trying to become like a self-help guru and doing this ridiculous practice. And it's, and it's going to feel fake. But eventually, what we're, what we're doing, if we pull back the lens, we're trying to create new neural pathways. That's really what a gratitude practice is doing. It's helping us switch the lens so that we're not watering the weeds. So that over time, we're building new neural pathways in the brain that's going to help do that automatically that's not going to require so much mental discipline. And because gratitude is a virtue, virtues don't come easily. How we can look at that is we're prioritizing new neural pathways. We're not prioritizing the actual practice of writing five things down that we're grateful for. We're prioritizing a new brain. And I think if people can look at it through that lens, then they may be able to tolerate the period of uncomfortability in the beginning where gratitude might feel like a big faker. You know, but over time, if you fake it, that's fine. It, you're, it's, it's not like a magic wand. It's not, it's not going to change your life overnight the first time you notate five things that you're grateful for. But what it does is it accumulates and it builds and it has a massive return on investment if it's a practice that you stick with. I love that. Thank you. Is there anything that you would just would like to leave our listeners with? You know, I've talked a lot about all of these practices that we can do. These are all like doing, right? They're all things that we can add to our routines or add to the body's natural desire to want to do things. But the one thing that I can recommend is try and keep the lens on how you would like to be, to be right now. Showing massive amounts of compassion for yourself when you're not feeling like yourself or when you're having a hard day, or when you're feeling stir-crazy, or when you are getting really upset and having very powerful, strong emotions. 
practice compassion. The, one of the most incredible things that I've seen over the last couple of weeks and what I'm keeping the lens on is these acts of kindness and compassion that I'm seeing in microdoses, whether that's someone saying hello, a stranger saying hello on a walk, or a grocery store clerk taking care of people waiting in lines outside grocery stores. Those acts of compassion and kindness are key, and that's what's going to help us navigate. And also keeping the lens on being of service. When we keep the lens on ourselves all the time, A, it's exhausting, and B, I don't think that's going to be our way out of this. If we can pull the lens back and see where we can be of service and where we can connect, we forget that we are we come from a tribe mentality. We're not meant to solo power everything all the time. We're meant to be part of a tribe. And I think that's one of the beautiful lessons of this experience is that it's forcing us to reconnect to that tribe mentality, to reconnect to our friends, to our support systems. And that's how we're meant to navigate situations like these. So compassion and connection and service are going to be key. I love that. Thank you. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and just sharing all those tips that when you hear them, you're like, oh yeah, of course. But sometimes it feels so <laughs> hard to implement. <laughs> well, that's, that's the one thing I'll say is that there is no magic wand for the one thing that's going to help people navigate through this. It's going to be a bunch of little things that you put into practice daily. And I think that's true for, for self-care in general. There's no one magic cure. There's no one magic wand. And if someone says that there is, run the other direction as fast as you can. Because it's going to be all of these tiny little things that we throw in our toolbox that help us navigate that we can implement on a daily, daily basis. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's such a delight to chat with you. I adore you guys. I love the work that you do. And I'm wishing you lots of sanity with, with the small ones indoors. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and sanitation and humor throughout all of this. Oh, same for you. Those are such good ones. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I look forward to talking to you soon. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. 